never, ever marks the spot. I am altering the deep. Pray I don't alter it any further. Welcome to this week's episode of the Top 5 Report, the podcast that really wants to meet the Spider-Verse versions of ourselves. My name is Drew. I'll be the host for the evening. Along with me, as always, is my brother Peter. Here. Hey, man. What's up? <laughs> Not much. How has your week been? Um, It's been pretty good. It's uh, I just had one of those weekends where I didn't have like anything going on. So at my household, we just cleaned a lot of stuff. <laughs> It was a lot of just housework that we've been putting off. And uh, I don't know, the, the the room I work out of in my house, like my office was kind of uh, starting to look like a giant nest of just random crap. And uh, we cleaned that out. And it's it's pretty great. The room feels super empty, but it also it feels like a good workspace. And that's <laughs> that's also where we, where I record the show. So I'm no longer, like I said, surrounded by a nest of just random crap and garbage so that's pretty great right on <laughs> how uh, about you you do you up to anything fun or exciting week, lately my week has been incredibly busy since we last talked um oh yeah like incredible like i feel like i haven't stopped physically moving uh which has been insane so um yeah like i haven't had as much time as i would have liked to like watch and read and all that nonsense so uh but i do have a couple things so um, why don't we just jump right in and, uh, what are we watching? What are we reading, man? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so I guess, uh, kind of picking up off of, uh, what I was talking about last week. Um, I'm still watching Euphoria on HBO and the only thing I'll say about that, cause there's not really much to say unless you watch the show, but I'll just say like this show is, uh, it's kind of just starting to become one of my favorite shows. Like, I just think it's still this season has been so good and so suspenseful and uh this last episode that just came out which is episode three of season two it's one of those things that when it started out i wasn't super into the characters and kind of the stories they were focusing on but by the end of the episode it's just one of those things where i was like i wish that episode didn't end like i just think they're really killing it this season so it's really awesome like definitely check out euphoria if you have the chance it is uh it does get a little dark and depressing because of the subject matter, but I think especially this season um, has been pretty great. Um, other than that, uh, besides just doing random house chores, um, over the weekend I hit up uh, Redbox a lot, actually. I had one of those Redbox sort of weekends, so there's a couple of movies I wanted to talk about really quick. Um, one of the movies we rented is... Uh, this movie called Till Death with uh, Megan Fox in it. Drew, I don't know if you're familiar with this film at all. Ooh, wait, hold on. I you watch this? No, it sounds really familiar. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm gonna t- 
talk. I'm going to look up. Hey, just you talk. Oh, no. I'm going to no, Google because I really feel like I've either seen this movie or like it was on the list of like movies that I was like, ooh, I never got a chance to watch. So go ahead. Oh, that's crazy. So so it's Megan Fox and it's it's very similar to movies like um, The Shallows a little bit with Blake Lively or um, uh, yeah, I know yeah, Ryan Reynolds that. has a movie that's where he's buried alive. I think it's just called Buried or something, but it's kind of like that kind of a movie where it's like a single location thriller if you will and essentially the movie is this is going to spoil it a little bit but megan fox is uh married to this really rich dude but they don't have the best relationship and uh she's having an affair with another man and uh long story short her husband finds out about this happening and uh uh he ends up basically one night when she uh they both fall asleep. He handcuffs her to him. And in the morning he ends up committing suicide. And uh, so Megan Fox kind of is stuck chained to the dead body of her husband. And it's kind of this crazy thriller where she finds out that he did it basically to get back at, at her for cheating on him. And uh, it's just kind of this crazy, like, how do I get out of this situation? Because he's basically, you know, uh, made it so she can't leave, like, she can't access her car, can't, can't get out of the house, like, uh, the electricity's cut, the phone lines are cut, all that. It's a, it's a pretty good movie. The, uh, I will say, like, the acting in this movie isn't the greatest, and the, uh, the story takes a little bit of time to get going, but once you get there, it's actually pretty entertaining. It's one of those, if you're kind of in the mood for a, pretty decent but not amazing thriller i definitely recommend this um drew have you seen this or you're just kind of no. this movie's just been on your radar no this is literally one that was on my radar so yeah awesome um the other movie i wanted to talk <laughs> sorry about i was kind of like i was literally like trying to like i had to swallow and you answered asked the question and i'm like shoot i got yeah. at the same time like <laughs> oh it's all good up, totally choked up there for a second anyway um Another movie that I rented this weekend was uh, Halloween Kills, which is the latest uh, installment in the Halloween franchise. Yeah. And this okay. review, I'll keep super short. Um, and this is a movie that I just wanted to see because online, I felt like it, there was just a lot of hype for it. Like, I feel like I'd go on Twitter and just left and right, I'd see people praising this movie and stuff. I will say this movie is very good. Like, it's it's really it's really good. It's definitely a good sequel and stuff. There's some really brutal and just really creative and fun kills in the movie as well. But the thing about this movie is if you're going to watch it, you should be up to date on your Halloween lore because this is a movie that picks up where the last Halloween movie, uh, like right where the last movie uh, movie left off. And it's one of those things where if you're not familiar with the last movie or if you have any gaps in the rest of the Halloween franchise, there's probably a couple things that are going to go over your head. Um, Cause I definitely was running into some issues with that, especially because I've seen the last Halloween movie before this one, but I don't really remember very much from it besides how a couple of the characters looked and stuff. <laughs> so there's certain parts where I was like, okay, I kind of remember this guy, but I don't really remember what he had going and stuff. But other than that, it, it is a, it, it is an enjoyable watch, but for me, I think it's more for like the hardcore Halloween fans than the casual fans. And I'm admittedly probably more of a casual Halloween fan. So, so uh, there that is. Um, 
But then the last movie that I rented that I wanted to talk about, which I thought was really great, is uh, Last Night in Soho. Have you seen this yet, Drew? No, but this is one that I've been really, really wanting to see. Okay. This is the one with Anya Taylor-Joy, right? Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah, I've been Um, really, really wanting to see this movie. I I saw the trailer for it, and I'm like, ooh, have to watch. And, uh, (laughs) And I honestly, I was like... I noticed it came out or it was available and I was like, shoot, I don't have a chance to watch it right now. So, <laughs> yeah. So this movie, it's hard to know what to say about it because I don't, especially since this one, you really want to see Drew. I don't want to spoil anything, but it's just, it's Edgar Wright. And I didn't realize yeah. that while watching it. I remember once the end credits started rolling and it was like written and directed by Edgar Wright or whatever. And I was like, Oh, that makes sense. And the reason why it makes sense is because after watching the movie, I thought back to Edgar Wright's other movies and the way that he pairs cinematography with very interesting music choices. And uh, just his pairing of visuals and music is always really cool in his movies. Um, And this movie definitely fills that void. But it's also a movie where I've never seen Edgar Wright tackle subject matter like this like this is a supernatural thriller and it's not only that it's kind of to me it feels like what like more of a classy thriller you know it's not like your b-horror gore fest sort of thing like to me this movie's a little bit more along the lines of like a like what lies beneath or something like that like more of a classy you know, a thriller you could watch with your parents and it's not ridiculous. And, you know, it's it's not it's not your a cheesy horror stuff. It's like, watch with your parents. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you know what I mean? It's it's a little more classy, a little bit more sophisticated and stuff like that. Um, Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. Um, but what's really cool about this movie is. See, it's I'm I'm again running into like wanting to say stuff and not wanting to ruin it. But the way that the way that everything plays out is very unpredictable i'll just leave it at that but it's also a movie that drew i think you need to watch specifically just for cinematography's sake because i actually didn't know this while watching the movie but since watching it i've read some stuff online and stuff and i found out that a lot of most of the movie was done uh practically like there's certain parts where you think that it's cgi or they would have used you know computer effects of some kind of some kind to pull off certain shots but the majority of the movie is done very practically um there's especially a scene that um there's a dance sequence where it's one male uh character dancing with anna taylor joy's character but it's kind of a it's almost like a dream sequence where between different shots, between different angles of the dance, the female character changes. And it that this will make more sense when you watch the movie. But it's one of those things where it's a continuous shot of a dance sequence of a couple's dance where one of the characters keeps switching back and forth between two people. And they did this. They pulled this off without using computer at all. It was all practically choreographed and shot. And when you watch the movie, it's a really mind blowing shot. Like, it's just really amazing how they pulled it off. And uh, no, Last Night in Soho, it's great. My one regret with this one is I got it from Redbox and I only watched it once because 
this is one of those movies I, I feel like I can't say enough good about it, and it's just great, and I think everybody needs to see this one. So, yeah, right. yeah, uh, definitely watch it. And, again, I don't want to say too much because I don't want to spoil too much. Um, and then besides that, I watched Boba Fett. <laughs> so awesome. I don't know if you, you watched watch, anything, but, uh, you yeah. You watched way more than I did, so we'll talk about Boba Fett in a minute. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, no, that's actually really cool. Let me ask you about that continuous shot with the changing between characters. Yes. Um. Was that, uh, was it similar to, were they so different? Like, okay, so you saw Black Swan, right? No, I haven't, I haven't seen Never Black seen Black Swan? Black Swan? So. <laughs> I know. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I know I need to, I know, I know I need to see it, but it's one of those movies that I know is going to be a major head trip. And I just, All right. I feel like I, I haven't been ready to sit down and watch it for whatever reason. Black Swan is fantastic. It's, I absolutely yeah absolutely adore that movie no there's a thing in black swan where it's some visuals where like continuous camera shot where a character changes to another character because it's I, you you don't you're not 100 is it is it, is it during one. like one of the ballet sequences or no um, oh, okay it's, it's during a uh it's during a different sequence not a ballet sequence one of the okay. offstage stuff and um it and honestly, it took me a couple watches to realize that it was happening. Um, I've okay. seen, I think I've watched the movie maybe five times total, and it took me by like the third watch to notice it. And I okay. was like really floored, like completely blown away when I saw that. So um, I, I could describe the last night in Soho uh, shot a little bit more detailed. Essentially, imagine it as uh, you know how um, Michael Bay does that thing where he'll. Sir, he'll have the camera like circle around two characters yeah. or cert. So it's a shot like that where there's the couple on the dance floor and the camera keeps circling around them. So at certain parts of the of that shot, you basically just see the the back of the the male character and you can't see the the woman character because she's behind him, if that makes sense. Yeah. And it's one of those things where every time it goes around the man's back and the woman is out of sight for a split second the characters switch if that makes oh, sense okay. but yeah, the yeah. way that it moves and you can imagine a dance sequence where there's you know there there's like twirls and there's different moves going on some sure. of the some of the character switches are just absolutely mind-blowing with how how could they even pull that off like it's super impressive so right on yeah that that's cool um, well, I definitely plan on watching that one. So, yeah. Uh, okay. So the reason my week has been crazy is because I work way too many jobs. Like this is the time of year. <laughs> this is the time of year where I have a part-time job and another part-time job and a full-time job. <laughs> so yeah. in the midst of everything, I try to keep up. So one, um, I've actually played a bunch of D and D this week, um, which is cool. Um, and, uh, I started reading, uh, DC's Injustice. Um, in oh, just nice. one, not in justice two. I'm only like maybe six or seven episode episodes issues in, um, nice. what I find strange about it is that, um, they're, the issues are incredibly short, um, in comparison to a regular comic book or they're not. And it's more pictures than dialogue because I feel like I'm flying through issues. Uh, <laughs> That's an interesting the, point. That makes I'm me want to go like, back. Oh, and... I got to the end of that issue too, so fast, you know, so <laughs> Yeah, it makes me wonder if it's more pictures than dialogue, which personally, I actually think that's a cool pacing for a comic book. The problem is 
when you buy a comic book and you read it in less than five minutes, you're just like, I kind of wish there was a little bit more dialogue to chew on, but I do like the fast paced well, action packed stuff like that. That's why I have the DC app. So I can just go from issue to issue <laughs> and not have to stop. <laughs> Absolutely. I was also uh, going to say, I know that I know I've heard about DC and Marvel, like as they go on, like their comic book issues keep getting shorter and shorter and having more ads. Like I've heard that being a common criticism, and I don't know if that's what you're running into a little bit or not. But uh, I mean, yeah. maybe because on the app they don't give you the ads; you're just getting the books. You're not absolutely. Getting, yeah. the, the only ads you're getting is like the very like when you get to the back cover of an issue, there might be an ad for some other series to check out, and then you go right into the next issue. But you don't get the normal commercial type stuff within the comic book. Right on. Um, there are uh, two trailers I watched. Um, they kind of lead into news, um, so I will keep them. I'll hold them off. Um, but yeah, I watched Boba Fett. Um, the episode I loved. Um, the rancor grows a lot faster than I think we realized um, because the rancor doesn't look that tall. And then the scene where like. They, the rancor like scares the guys. They're like, well, you're standing in the wrong spot kind of moment. And the yeah. hand comes up and grabs the grate. I was like, I didn't think the rancor was that tall yet because it seemed like a baby. <laughs> so like the rancors clearly grow or the ceiling's lower than we thought. I don't know. I uh, See, that's that's interesting because when that happened, I for some reason I was picturing the rancor jumped like like I was picturing like, OK, the rancor can jump way higher than we think. And like he just like clawed at the great above him but it's one of those scenarios so you might be right if the rancor is that huge that would be insane though (laughs) um and then my other big takeaway from the episode uh was uh the sarlacc getting like attacked by or the or the slave one being attacked by the sarlacc when he tried to like lower the ship in to get a good look to see if his armor was down there oh yeah (laughs) that was was nuts (laughs) (laughs) that was a I mean, there's been like a couple jump scares in Star Wars, but that was amazing. I was not expecting that. And that scene did make me jump like that was so good. (laughs) That was that was probably that was like the big moment in the episode, because otherwise it was a regular episode like any other episode we've had. But I was like, holy cow, like Mm -hmm. that's nuts. Um, I would love to like I would have loved to get like a. I, I feel like it would have broken up the intensity of it, and it probably would have made it too comical. But if you saw like a jet, two Jawas like off in the distance, seeing the slave one like face down, like struggling to get up, that would have been that would have been a nice touch. You know what I mean? I don't know. Like it just it probably would have broke the tension. But that was a cool, cool sequence. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really all I got to say about Boba Fett because otherwise I was just like it, felt, it was a good like move the story forward. We're getting a little farther. Like. You know, because I don't know how many episodes there are in the season. I'm kind of just enjoying letting this thing pace itself. So, yeah, that's kind of where I was at. Like, um, this was definitely this one was a lot of backstory more so than uh, the current events going on. So there's not too much to say about it. Um, The moment when uh, Boba Fett takes uh, Fennec to the like body modification shop or however you want to describe that. Yeah, I felt like that. I'll keep going. That was the only sequence to me that stuck out where I was like, I don't know if this feels like Star Wars, like just this specific part. But at the same time, I didn't really mind. And overall, it was just a great episode. So I'm not going to complain about that too much. It was just like, yeah, it was something about it. Like, I kind of wished that the um, 
the body modification artist or <laughs> however you want to phrase it. I kind of wish that he was like an alien or he had a more just a less earthly earthly sort of look and like sure. the music I wasn't sure if it felt Star Warsy to me but I don't know what were you, what was your thoughts on that I was scene? Just, I was just gonna say like um having robotic parts having robotic body parts is no stranger to Star Wars so that's not like it's anything new absolutely yeah um, I think I think you nailed it right on the head that that guy should have been like an alien or something because it was the only part of the episode that didn't feel Star Wars, but it felt like Star Wars. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it was it was just kind of a little bit odd, and you're just like, all right, well, I'll let it fly, because, I mean, well, it's, can it's canon now, you know? Yeah. I, I do I do think it was – it. I still liked it. Like, I thought it was a cool scene, but I, there was a little bit of, like, does this feel like Star Wars to me? But at the same time, like, just thinking about this now, I feel like since Star – like, George Lucas is no longer at the – helm of star wars i feel like we're all maybe a little too critical of that where i sure. think george lucas did some things in the prequels that didn't really feel star warsy but nobody really <laughs> commented as much about them you know that's that true and george's original vision was when he he even said this and there's a great interview where he talks about how like i wanted to create this world that other filmmakers could come and play in you know? yeah um so I guess I guess that kind of seals the deal and you just kind of go, well, take it for what it is, because it's canon now. So um. and with that being said, with what I was saying, when they raided um, Jabba's palace or I don't know if it's accurate to call it Bib Fortuna's palace at that point. But that whole sequence felt super Star Warsy to me, especially when yeah. they're like fighting against the uh the the kitchen droids and stuff like that like that was all just great so like i said that was like my one little gripe about the whole thing yeah yeah, yeah. um well that's really all i got on um boba fett on boba fett just for this week because i i just felt it was very um a straightforward episode but you had these like just moments you're just like holy cow i got to see the sarlacc try and eat a spaceship you know so yeah <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so the two trailers that I watched, uh, one of them, um, I didn't, I didn't tell you to watch these just because they kind, I kind of stumbled on them. Um, okay. First up, one of them's not a trailer. It's actually the opening sequence of an upcoming show. So maybe you saw it, maybe you didn't. Uh, but the trailer is a, is for a Pinocchio film that's coming. This is not the Disney one. This is coming straight to Netflix. So Disney's doing their live action Pinocchio. This is a Pinocchio that's going right to Netflix, and it's going to be stop motion. And um, it is Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. So I just saw that, like, right before we recorded, I saw, okay. I didn't watch this, but I saw that this was a thing. Um, and I haven't had a chance to watch it yet. So how was it? <laughs> um, it's very short. It's basically Jiminy Cricket talking, and then he kind of, like, he, he kind of turns to the camera and he's kind of talking like, you know, break the fourth wall kind of stuff. And then he like pokes his head and then he's like kind of walking to like the window of whatever room he's in and he pokes his head out and it's the title that says Pinocchio. Um, nice. I am not a big Pinocchio fan in any sense of the words. It's one of my least favorite Disney stories ever, but um, if Del Toro's behind it, I might have to give it a go. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, um, we'll see about that. I just, the, the trailer, like I said, it's like a 30 second, just stop motion cricket talking to you. Um, but it was kind of cool to see. <laughs> it nice. was kind of cool to see. 
Um, the other thing that I watched, uh, which, like I said, is not a trailer so much as it's an opening sequence to a TV show. They released the opening theme slash sequence to Lord of the Rings for Amazon. I haven't watched this yet. Um, okay. Did this come out today? I haven't even no, seen a lot of this hype came out this. like this came out like when we hit stop on the. Okay. I literally like woke up. I literally like woke up the next morning and there it was. And I was like, oh well, yeah. all right, I'll just flag it for next week. Um mm-hmm. the uh the opening sequence is you hear a person talking and they're telling you like a story about the rings. You're like, okay, mm-hmm. cool. And it's basically just imagery of deserts and rivers and you know, like very like earthy type environments, I guess you could say. And mm-hmm. you don't get any clear imaging. You're not sure if you're in a desert or if you're in a river basin or if you're in a forest. It's just kind of clearly they're just showing you that we're going into the world. And um, there's no like I, there's no iconic landmarks or anything either. But at the end of the trailer, the sand on the ground like kind of blows away and you see the title sequence. And it says and the title is actually Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power. Um mm. We know that this takes place before the events of The Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings trilogy. So um, because of that, the dialogue in this like opening sequence is basically the, you know, nine rings were given to the, you know, the age of men. And, you know, these were given to the dwarf lords and these were given to the elves and like all that stuff, like who all received the rings. Um which is cool because that means we're going to focus on that story that you heard at the beginning of fellowship, because the first thing, when you read fellowship, because technically fellowship was the very first book. So when you open it up and you start reading about these rings that were passed out to all these different races amongst the middle earth. Now we're actually going to get to hear the story of those rings and all that stuff. I thought that was kind of cool just based off that. Um, The other cool part about this like opening sequence is when you watch it, it looks like a cool title sequence, but I found out that the whole thing was done practically. There's no CGI at all in the opening sequence. Hmm, nice. So even when they blow the sand off the title card and everything, <sighs> none of it's CGI. It's all done practically. And I just thought that was really, really cool. So if you get a chance, uh, look it up. It's just the Amazon. It's just literally the opening title sequence for the show. So no, no character images, nothing. It's just it's very... You're just like, okay, it's Lord of the Rings. I, all right, I saw a river and some sand <laughs> moving around. Like, you know what I mean? You don't get anything. <laughs> awesome. Um, but like I said, that segues us right into news. So let's talk about the news, man. All right. Okay. Um, let's see where do we want to hit first. Here, let's do the quick ones first. Um, there is a Godzilla TV series in development for Apple TV. Um. I thought, right, was, I thought that was interesting. It's like going to be a, a Godzilla slash Kaiju type television series. Um, I don't know how long it, personally. I, I mean, it's on Apple, so I'll probably never get to watch it because I don't have Apple TV unless I decide to jump on that bandwagon. <laughs> yeah. But I just thought, like, if you're going to do a Godzilla television series, there is not a lot of like, I hope they like get away from like some city destruction because they're going to run out of stuff to destroy. <laughs> <laughs> Um, absolutely i don't know do you have any thoughts on like a show like that i mean it sounds cool like uh there's definitely really cool stuff you can do with a show i kind of feel like there's so much godzilla 
content out there right now yeah, though, right at the now. same time like there's there's the legendary movies i know there's probably still a couple godzilla projects in development in japan right now um i know netflix has like their anime godzilla movies and i never uh i never thought i'd be say i feel like we're on godzilla overload but i kind of feel like that a little bit but I mean, it, it'll be cool to see. Um, it makes me wonder if it has any connection to the legendary movies or if they're just going to have completely their own take on this, you know? Yeah, and uh, I'm kind of interested about that, too. So, we'll, I mean, we'll see. We'll probably at least get a trailer to watch or something like that so we can say, oh, cool, that actually does look pretty sweet. You know, that kind of yeah, thing. yeah, absolutely. Um, Mission Impossible 7 and Mission Impossible 8 are delayed again until 2023 and 2024. Oh, man. Um, they, were supposed to, they were supposed to premiere this. Uh, Mission Impossible 7 was supposed to premiere this year uh, in September 30th. It's going to now be pushed back to July 14th of 2023. And Mission Impossible 8 will uh, be pushed back to July 7th of 2024. June and is this, because of, is this because of COVID? Yeah. My assuming is COVID. The oh, other okay. assuming is that... so. From what I understand, both movies were shot back to back as one big movie, and then they're going to cut it in half. Mm-hmm. Um, from what I remember from the original press release, um, so my guess is they wanted to release them close enough to each other, but if with the COVID concerns, they're going to push them both back and release them consecutively. So, um, okay. <laughs> well, yeah, there you go. <laughs> Fun stuff. Just, okay. Um, it sucks because I'm really excited to see that movie, but that's all right. Yeah. Um, Christmas Story. One of my all-time favorite Christmas movies is getting a 40 years later sequel. Um, oh, Warner, Brothers, okay. Warner Brothers and Legendary Pictures are teaming up uh, for this uh, continuation, and it stars the original Ralphie himself, Peter Billingsley, um, titled A Christmas Story, uh, A Christmas Story Christmas. Okay. It's yeah. funny that... Uh... It's funny that it's Warner Brothers, because as soon as you said it was getting a sequel, I was, for some reason, part of me just said, how's Disney going to ruin this one? Just because I'm I'm so used to Disney doing, like, like they had the recent Home Alone sequel and stuff like that. But uh, did you watch the Home Alone sequel? I thought no, it was fun. <laughs> no, I, I still haven't watched it. I'm not, as far as the Christmas story thing goes... I don't know that I'm completely against this. I guess I just want to see where it goes. But the uh, um, uh, real time, Ralphie's now all grown up, so his kid clearly wants something he shouldn't have, and it's gonna be like you know. Um, but <laughs> the thing that bums me a little bit about it is that uh, the book, the the, the original movie's based on uh, is titled "It's uh, In God We Trust, All Others Pay Cash." The book is so wonderful and charming that I would love to see them kind of be a little bit more faithful to that and try and do like a more attentive adaptation, like get the assignment right kind of a thing. Um, hmm. uh, like the reason I say that is because the Christmas story part of the novel is only 20 pages of a like 200 page novel. Um, and they they cover it really well and they pull in some other aspects of the book. But ultimately, the book, like that Christmas section, is very, very short. Um, mm-hmm. 
So um, I, I don't know how I feel about this. I think it's kind of I want to see a trailer. I'm probably going to watch it anyway. Are you kidding? You know, so <laughs> <laughs> I'm on the same page. Like, I want to see more, but uh, I'm not against this. And to me, like, for some reason, I'm really liking likening this to um, uh, the movie Va- Vacation, you know, the uh, the sequel to the National Lampoon's Vacation movies where it was about uh, like Rusty and his family. Like he got married and had kids and their vacation. And I don't know if you ever watched that, Drew, but I actually thought Vacation was pretty hilarious. I know it got bad reviews, but I thought it was actually pretty funny. So I don't know. I guess I'm I'm kind of likening this new Christmas story thing to maybe that sort of thing, even though. Obviously, the Christmas Story movie is going to be a lot more, uh, <laughs> yeah, P- PG rated, if you will, or however you want to phrase that. Yeah. Um. All right. Um. Let's talk some Batman news. Okay. So first off, this is interesting. Um. According to a new report, the Batman, um, has been going through some screening for test audiences. Um. And they actually have a runtime for the film. This bugs me a little bit um, because one of the reports says one of the cuts of the film that got screened for the audience was almost four hours in length. Oh, man. <laughs> OK, the actual runtime of the movie is going to be two hours and 55 minutes. So first off, that means that this will be the longest running Batman movie ever. Um, so in order of run times, Batman vs. Superman was two hours and 31 minutes, theatrical length, not the director's cut. The Dark Knight was two hours and 32 minutes. The Dark Knight Rises, two hours and 45 minutes. And the Batman will be two hours and 55 minutes. But what I heard in this story was that there's a four hour cut of the movie. (laughs) All right. (laughs) (laughs) And I'll be completely honest. I'd rather have the four hour cut of the movie. Sorry, I would. Like, if you're going to, like, Snyder cut everything, you might as well just give it to us, you know. So, with any luck, I mean, my butt's going to be in a seat for it no matter what. So, with any luck, there's a chance that uh, they turn around and they say, hey, we're giving you both when you buy the DVD or something. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah, that that would be cool because it will be interesting to see, hopefully someday, you know, what all was in those four hours that didn't make the final cut. Um, The only saving grace, though, that I'm thinking of is it's possible that the four hour cut had just a lot of really self-indulgent shots of just Batman standing on gargoyles overlooking Gotham City or something. And while they they might look really badass, you might get to the point where you're just like, okay, I get the point. Batman looks cool (laughs) sort of thing. Like you never know what they had to trim down. It could be really interesting, awesome stuff, but it could also just be like, you know, maybe it was just a lot of boring shots they had to cut out. You you never really know, you know? Yeah. 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 Well, um, we are coming up on the 30th anniversary of the death of Superman. The crazy. Yeah, I know. Crazy. You don't think about that stuff. You know what I mean? So for the uh, 30th anniversary of for for the anniversary of the death of Superman, they have decided that they are going to do DC and the comic book world is going to kill the entire Justice League. Um, (laughs) I am behind in my Justice League story arc. How so? 
Um, there won't be a they're saying that they're going to kill several members of the Justice League. There won't be an immediate replacement on the way, however, because most of the team will be killed in that story battling a team called the Dark Army. Now, like I said, I'm behind. I don't know a lot about who the Dark Army is, but this has me interested enough to read away. Um, that finale is intended to serve as a foundation for an ongoing storyline that sees the DCU come to terms with the loss of so many beloved heroes. Um, so I'm really curious as to how many people are going to die during this event. However, we know it's comic books, so they don't stay dead for long. However, um, this new storyline is intentionally designed to echo the infamous death of Superman crossover from 1992, which culminated with the Man of Steel losing his life in a battle with Doomsday. Um, so, you know, Superman did return back to life, everybody. Like I said, comic books, you don't stay dead for long, but... You know, to echo the idea of the death of Superman, we are going to kill off the entirety of the Justice League. So. <laughs> well, I, I did see this story. I didn't realize it cor- correlated to the death of Superman, like an anniversary of that. But I think it's pretty funny that it was like <laughs> to celebrate this big event, we have to kill somebody else off and we're going to kill off the whole Justice League. But I'm I'm curious where this is going to go. I'm definitely behind on uh, my DC comics, so I don't really know what's going on with the Justice League right now in the comics world. But, uh, yeah, I'm kind of interested to see how this plays out and uh, to kind of see how everybody reacts to this, you know. Yeah, I, I am, too. Um, most people, I feel, are going to just. It's interesting. You got to look in the right spots to get legit reviews in terms of comic books now, because I feel like not enough people read. It's really funny when I have conversations with people. I was at um, my part time job and someone asked a Marvel question and I heard him talking. and I go, hold on a second. And we had to like I did a full breakdown of like comic versus movie and like this means this and all that stuff and kind of where we're headed with the movies or at least where I think we're headed. It was kind of like yeah. one of those podcast moments where I just I should have just hit record and just let it run. Um uh, but it was really interesting, and I realized, like, the more I have these conversations in the real world, how many people don't actually read comic books. I find it very interesting. So, yeah. <laughs> but I'm anxious, no. re- I'm anxious to read this, so, yeah. No, I, I agree, and, uh, well, I don't want to get into a huge thing. I think that it's more people should be reading comics, and I think there's, like, there's faults that lie on the publishers and the consumers in that regard. So, uh, but that's a huge conversation we could unpack on a different day, but, uh, no, definitely super interesting. (laughs) Really curious where this all, uh, where this all lays out. So, all right, I got a couple more stories and then we'll jump into the list. Um, James Bond producer says that Idris Elba has in conversation to take over the role. Um, there's been a lot of, there's been a lot of talk over the years about Idris Elba becoming the next James Bond. Um, mm-hmm. I honestly think it'd be really, really cool to see Idris Elba play James Bond. I think that's a wonderful, wonderful idea. Um, Ian Fleming has such a uh, finite idea of what James Bond is supposed to be. There's been this whole, there'll never be a black man who will play James Bond. And really? Yeah, that's it's been this thing for a really long time. Like Ian Fleming, I don't think he's being racist. I think he's being this is my ideal way that I want this role done. This is how it's going to be handled. And it's like been one of those like famous like in the contract. You can't have anyone else fit this bill unless you know it gets approval by me kind of nonsense. 
But it mm-hmm. sounds like, but it sounds like Idris Elba is like close to final talks to taking over the role, and I think that's absolutely amazing. He is a wonderful, wonderful actor, charming as hell. Um, he just really like, man, he is he's really, really good, and I I really hope that this is a thing that happens, um, because I yeah. think, I I just think it'd be an awesome, awesome thing. So. No, absolutely. I think um, I don't know. I just said really to that because I've never thought. Like certain there's certain characters where their ethnicity like really plays a major role in that character. And I never really I never really saw that with James Bond. Like, obviously, James Bond has to be British. Like, you can't do that character any other way. But as far as like his specific ethnicity, I never really thought that really made a difference. Um, And with that being said, like, I think Idris Elba, he's just such a cool actor. Like everybody. Like, I don't know anybody who doesn't like Idris Elba. And I feel like, like you said, there's been kind of fan casts of him as James Bond for years. So I feel like they just need to do it. They need to make it happen because, like we've said, they've been talking about this for years. And it's almost like, at this point, it's almost like if they do it now, it's like, well, it's about time. And if they wait five years and then they do it, everybody's going to be like, well, yeah, that was a cool idea 10 years ago, but we've actually <laughs> moved on to like this other actor we want to see in the role. So right. it's kind of a crap or get off the pot sort of situation. Yeah. Just, just get it done. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Um, this is an interesting one. Tom Cruise is going to be the new Iron Man in a Doctor Strange sequel. Um, he was he was uh, they were going to originally cast tom cruise as iron man right generally tom cruise was the top list actor for iron man and it didn't out and um we got robert downey jr which such an amazing pull there however dr strange in the multiverse of madness will feature iron man and apparently tom cruise will be that iron man we are dealing with a multiverse here. We're dealing with alternate realities. We're dealing dealing with potential alternate dimensions. So the idea of this is kind of cool. It could be a very, very short cameo. It could be a very lengthy cameo. Um, but it looks like they really just want, uh, but it really looks like um, we got a really cool uh, Tom Cruise Iron Man moment that's about to happen. But apparently on the set, there's been... Uh, uh, set photos that have leaked of Tom Cruise walking around in uh, motion capture suits and stuff like that. So <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, I'm this, just this could be cool. You know, I'm just excited for when uh, Iron Man No Way Home comes out and we've got Robert Downey Jr., Tom Cruise and uh, I don't know who the third one would be, Ozzy Osbourne or something. No, it, once once we have the multiple Iron Man movie, that's going to be great. Right. Um, all right. So. This is I have two quick stories here and then we'll talk the news. Um, Tom, speaking of Tom Cruise, he has been working on getting a movie filmed in space. Right. We've talked about this. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Tom Cruise is not only getting ready to shoot a movie in space. The company that's helping him put this together, um, Space Entertainment Enterprise, S.E.E., um, to uh, behind Tom Cruise's upcoming space movie has set its sights on the ISS or the International Space Station, Axiom Station, to host a new sports and entertainment arena. It's set to become operational in December of 2024. They are building a studio in space. Nice <laughs> to be to be um, ready to use in 2020 in 2024. Um, that's 
amazing. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so there's going to be a film studio in space by 2024. Um the Tom Cruise movie aside, I can't wait to see what that studio turns out because of the zero G stuff. Like, forget, like, oh, we need a flying rig. I'll oh, we'll just go up to space and we'll shoot it up there. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, Absolutely. Yeah. So we'll see how that plays out. But that's just that's just sounds cool and ridiculous. And yeah. And I, I think this oh, now we're going to have to have now we're going to have to have zero G stage combat training. <laughs> um, I think this movie is going to be really cool to see. Um, it's going to it's definitely going to be fun to watch and think, you know, how did they do this and stuff. But thinking in that regard, it's almost like I think the behind the scenes special features are going to be more interesting to watch than whatever this movie ends up being. Because you know? <laughs> you're just going to want to know how they shot a film in space, you know. Yeah, I know. Right. Um, all right. So science story of the night. Um, it's a short one. Um, do you remember when we talked about Elon Musk's brain chip from his company Neuralink? Yeah. A long time ago. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, they are looking, they're getting ready to start human trials. Okay. Yeah, they've, uh, um, let's see, they're looking to recruit a director to lead human clinical trials for its brain microchip research after previously conducting research on pigs and monkeys. So they apparently got the approval to move towards human trials um this is when the apocalypse happens this is when there's a breakdown and it becomes zombies or rage virus or there's going to be computer chip malfunction and it's gonna be, you know what i mean like yeah the science fiction horror movie script is forming as i talk um, i mean it's it's the apocalypse or it's the matrix you know this is where we all become sedated and we go into the virtual world and yeah, no longer live in the real world they're about to be assimilated and that's that um <laughs> because you notice like I don't know. The timing of this is crazy with uh, how shortly after the metaverse was released, you know, from Mark yeah. Zuckerberg. And then this happens. And uh, I don't know. We're all we're all going to be in the Matrix. You know, <laughs> we'll be recording right. this show in the Matrix in a year or two. So. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, all right. You ready to talk tonight's list? Yeah, absolutely. Let's uh, move on to uh, happier thoughts. <laughs> yeah, right. All right. Um, it is list time. So do me a favor, Ryan, and roll the thing. And now for the top five. All right. Uh, Peter, this is uh, my list. So let's talk about this real quick. Um, yeah. the, uh, this was my pick. I wanted to do a year. We haven't done one in a while. We've been doing all these crazy lists and, um, I thought it'd be kind of fun to look back. Like, let's go back. Like what? So 93, that's like almost, that's like 29 years ago. Um, I should have gone for the full 30, but that's right. Um, at any rate, uh, we hadn't done <laughs> 1993 and this has a big, big movie that landed this year. Um, I have a feeling it's on both our lists, um, but we'll find out. Um, I do have uh, two honorable mentions, but we'll get to that in a second. Um, of the movies in 1993, I saw 88 of the movies that year. All right, uh, nice. The best picture this year was Schindler's List. Mm -hmm. uh, wonderful, wonderful film. It's a hard watch, so... I've only seen it once. No, I've seen it twice. Uh, okay, I've, I've only seen that one once. That's a well, yeah. <laughs> it's a hard sit, but it's a wonderful movie. Absolutely. Um, 
the uh, this move this sees this year saw many major major films like Mrs. Doubtfire, Beverly Hillbillies, Adam's Family Values, um, <laughs> Grumpy Old Men. Uh, let's see what else came out that year that's absolutely amazing. Meteor Man, Hot Shots Part well, Two. I mean, we're you talking honestly giant blockbusters like Robin Hood and Tights and RoboCop Three. Um, Super Mario Brothers came out this year. Massive blockbuster there. <laughs> uh, at any rate, dude, I was I was seven year, years old in 1993, so for sure. me, Super Mario Brothers was a massive blockbuster. No, this this year was uh, interesting to go back and visit because it's I was I was super young, and I, I think. One thing I noticed when we do these years, especially when we get into older ones, when I was a wee little lad, I noticed that I really was, I wasn't very selective about what movies I watched. I kind of just watched whatever was available. And I think like some of the movies I watched in 1993, I probably would have skipped as an adult, but as a kid, you just don't care. And you're like, hell yeah, let's watch Surf Ninjas. <laughs> Surf Ninjas came out this year, you know what I mean? Um, with that being said, I think there's a lot of movies that I probably missed. You know, some of the more adult-oriented um, movies I definitely probably just missed because of my age. Um, but I rounded the year off with a, around uh, 60 movies that I saw from this year, um, which doesn't match your 88, but I remember when I was compiling my list, and writing down all the movies I saw, it was actually kind of annoying because I realized how much movies <laughs> I had seen this year. And, uh, you know, looking at the Wikipedia list of movies that came out and just like, oh, I have to write down another one. Like, it just felt like such a daunting task to write it down all these movies. But uh, a lot of good movies this year, and I'm looking forward to diving into this one. Uh, I have two honorable mentions as well. So, All right. Well, this was my pick. So you got to go first. Absolutely. So my first honorable mention is uh, this is actually one of my favorite movies, but I think I acknowledge that it's not I don't think it's as good of a movie as some of the other movies on my list. But I still think this movie is awesome for a lot of different reasons. And that movie is Dead Alive, also known as Brain Dead. Uh, this movie is Peter Jackson's second film, I believe. I think it's his second or third film, but I'm pretty sure it's his second. And it's basically Peter Jackson making a really crazy, crazy zombie movie. <laughs> and this movie is, when it came out, it was known as the goriest film of all time. I don't know that it still holds that um, title because there's been a lot of crazy stuff that has came out since, but this is a movie that's super gory, super bloody. There's a scene where the main character holds up a lawnmower, um, like chest height, and walks through a horde of zombies, and the lawnmower chops them all up. So you know this movie is super gory. But the reason I like this film is, besides this kind of a goofy, funny B-horror movie, is just the craft that went into this film, because all the zombies are like the crazy sort of latex 80s looking special effects where they all kind of look like goofy puppets and they don't necessarily look realistic like it's almost more cartoony than anything but it's just so fun to watch because of the craft that went into all the just bonkers special effects in this film um, and even some of the quieter moments of this movie like 
the very first shots of the film, um, when it's kind of showing the town that this movie takes place in, I think those shots were all done with miniatures, actually. Like, if you watch the opening to this movie, there's, like, these shots done with, like, a miniature city that they made. But the way it's shot is actually, it looks super realistic. And it's kind of just impressive because it's, like, I can tell these are miniatures, but they also made this look pretty damn real. And that's pretty awesome. So, Drew, I don't know if you, have you seen Dead Alive? Do you have any thoughts on this movie at all? Um, I have not seen Dead Alive. Nice. This is this is one that I think I watched in college and I was just getting really into kind of crazy B horror movies and splatter flicks and stuff. And this was one I just had to check out and I fell in love with. It's like I said, it's super gory and it's kind of more on the cheesier side, but it's really endearing. And there's a lot of cool craftsmanship that went into this one. Uh, Nice. Um, Yeah, I feel bad for not seeing it, but. um, Yeah. Um, so you got to do you say goriest movie ever. I wonder how that phase uh, fares with stuff like Hostel and um, Faces of Death, which I believe came before <laughs> this. And you know what I mean? I've, <laughs> I've never seen Faces of Death and I've never wanted to. Either um, compar- <laughs> on both accounts. <laughs> Compa- <laughs> comparing it to uh, like Saw or Hostel or, you know, the, those sort of movies. This movie is definitely, like I said, a lot more cartoony like it's it's your straight up crazy 80s gore but it doesn't look realistic and that's what what I like about this is because it's kind of cartoony and crazy I'm not really that into like the realistic like gory movies that kind of make you want to puke like this movie kind of has just a fun cartoony-esque gore goriness to it that I that I really enjoy so sure um what's uh oh my first one um So my first honorable mention is a movie called National Lampoon's Loaded Weapon 1. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) You've seen this, right? Yeah, it's been a long time, but I remember thinking this movie is hilarious. Ultimately, this is National Lampoon's doing um, uh, Lethal Weapon, and it's hilarious. Uh, Emilio Estevez, Samuel Jackson... Throwing Kathy Ireland and John Lovitz and like all like a whole met, uh, giant ton of like cameos and weird nonsense um, in the best uh, National Lampoon's way that they do. The movie's really funny. Um, yeah, it's just it's it's what you'd expect for like National Lampoon's to do a parody. Um, so, yeah, I don't have much to say about it. It's just an honorable mention because I was like, oh, yeah, that came out this year. Ha, that's funny. I always like that. Movie. <laughs> you know, so. Absolutely. This is a great film. I think uh, I haven't watched it in so long, so I'd like to again. But I remember it had a lot of just really classic, hilarious gags like uh, I think this movie is definitely one that does the uh, sort of thing where you have Emilio Estevez's character following a trail of blood, but then it leads to a bottle of ketchup. And (laughs) there's a lot of goofy stuff like that in it. So this this is definitely a great one. I haven't watched this in so long, though. Um, What's your next one, man? Yeah, so my next uh, pick is uh, Groundhog Day. Yeah. So this this is a movie that I think stands the test of time for its influence alone, because on this podcast, I feel like it's every couple months we're talking about another Groundhog Day ripoff, to be honest. <laughs> like we're, we're talking about another movie that takes uh, the same sort of template of living the same day over and over again. Like we've had 
happy death day. And I know there's been other ones. Um, like I think Hulu had that movie boss level, which I think is kind of the same template, which I haven't watched yet, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's just a great, it's a great template. This movie, I don't know if it's the first one who's that's, uh, done that sort of like a movie like this before, but it definitely, I feel like holds the place of like, this is the one that everybody goes back to. And this is the one that everybody remembers. But, um, no, I, I like this movie a lot. I think um, Bill Murray's character in this film starts off as both like a jackass, but also as a really relatable <laughs> guy where you're like, this guy's a jerk. But at the same time, the things that he does, <laughs> I would probably do the same stuff if I was living the same day over and over again. You know what I mean? And I think uh, it's it's really relatable in that way. And I think it's uh the concept of the film's really fantastical and it's something that kind of captured my imagination as a kid, but watching the movie as an adult, I just relate to the characters more and I pick up on, you know, some of the humor and some of the concepts that I didn't before, but uh, no, this is just a really, really fun movie, really hilarious, definitely holds up. So yeah, I don't know if you have any thoughts on this one, Drew. Um, no, we've talked so much about Groundhog Day and you're right. We feel like we're always ripping off Groundhog Day. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Not us, but like everybody's ripping off Groundhog Day. Um, so yeah, no, like it's such a good movie and I'm totally with you. We all would have been there with Bill Murray, like making the decisions he made and all that stuff. So. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, all right. My next honorable mention is a movie called Aspen Extreme. Um, oh, nice. I knew this was going to come up on your list. <laughs> well, it almost it made the short list. And then I'm like, no, let's make it an honorable mention, because I have like this real soft spot for movies that deal with skiing. Like I have to watch them all. I really enjoy most of them, even though most of them are just horrible, horrible movies. Uh, but this one's actually a pretty decent movie. It's 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 got some funny moments, but it's still a serious film. Peter Berg's in it. Um, um, it's basically about a couple guys that go up to Aspen, try and be ski instructors, and they succeed, and then, you know, the story goes from there. Um, there's some really <laughs> cool ski. Dream, like, dream big. <laughs> dream big. Um, right, right, exactly. You shoot for the moon, you'll land on the sun. <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> um, no, like, it's, it's, honestly, it's really just a fun skiing movie, and uh, it's not. Like I said, there's some comedy moments, but there's some serious stuff to it. And overall, I just really like it. I haven't seen it in years, but I just have a soft spot for those movies. So I don't have a big review. It's just really like that's why it's called an honorable mention, you know, so. <laughs> so I've seen I've seen like parts. Of, I don't think I've seen this movie the full way through. I've seen parts of it when I was very young. And I think at the time I was like, this movie's cool because there's skiing in it. <laughs> but that's literally all I know about it. Um, it's funny that you mentioned this movie because I've like, because of the weather outside and we just live in this wasteland of tundra for this part of the year, I've been kind of in the mood to watch skiing movies. And uh, the other day I was searching for them online. Like I was like, I'm in the mood to watch like Hot Tub Time Machine, for example. And I couldn't find that anywhere for free at least. And then I was like, let's look up out cold. And I couldn't find that streaming anywhere as well. And I didn't delve into some of the, the worser skiing movies at that moment, but uh, yeah, I was a little annoyed that I couldn't find uh, any of the skiing ski movies. School, man. I wanted to watch the other day. Ski school. You got to jump on that one. I'll, I'll have to check that out. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll take a look, see if I can find it streaming somewhere. Okay. I own all the movies you just listed. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Anyway, what's your first actual pick for the night? 
Yeah, so my first actual pick is uh, one of the most amazing movies that came out this year, and uh, it is Robin Hood Men in Tights. This movie is... Um, I guess uh, this might be a good time to remind the audience that this this list is is a year, so this list is ranked. So this is my fifth favorite movie this year. And uh, this one was going to originally be an honorable mention, but last minute I was like, you know, I've probably watched this movie a lot more than Groundhog Day. And when it comes down to it, I probably like this movie just a little bit better just because of rewatchability and it just makes me laugh out loud more and stuff. And there's really not much more to it than that. Like this is a great film. It's a great parody. It's hilarious. It's Mel Brooks who I love. Like I think Mel Brooks's humor just gets me in a way that a lot of other, you know, humor directors, writers, whatever comedians don't necessarily get me. And I think, I don't know. This movie I've, I loved when I was a kid and when I watch it as an adult, I still just think it's hilarious. And uh, I don't know something about Mel Brooks, <laughs> how like offensive, like a lot of his humor was compared to like today's standards is like kind of really hilarious too. like just how I don't know, I guess offensive, but funny it is and like how he poked fun at like literally every sort of like subculture group I think is just really enjoyable too so I don't know do you have any thoughts on this specifically Drew I feel like we've talked about this movie a number of times though we've we've talked about this movie a ton of times and my only take my only big one on this that um I don't like it was on the other day not the other day maybe about a month ago I caught it on tv and it yes it still holds up but parts of it really, really don't. <laughs> um, and I don't know if it's because of the offensive jokes or what, but uh, parts of it just don't hold up. So, yeah, I think the um, it's kind of funny, like you have the uh, the kind of group of narrators who are kind of like a hip hop group or something. And like looking back on like the style of like hip hop that they're performing, it feels so dated by today's standards. And I think there are aspects of this movie that just don't hold up as well as you'd think, but I still find those tidbits endearing. Like I still think this movie's really hilarious and I love it. So it had to make my list. Sure. Um, all right. So my next one, my first actual one for the night is a movie we've talked a ton about, so we don't have to dwell on it too much. And that's the three Musketeers. Um, this is, uh, the Charlie Sheen, uh, Keeper Sutherland, uh, Oliver Platt, version um it's um we've talked about it a lot because the sword fights in it are amazing overall the adventure is great um this is just a really good movie as a whole it's on disney plus so everyone go watch it um yeah Yeah, absolutely yeah any thoughts on that before we move along (laughs) no this is a great movie i feel like i feel like the three musketeers is a really solid adventure film um, but it doesn't get revisited a lot by the general populace. But Drew, like me and you and our brothers and stuff, just absolutely adore this film. <laughs> so mm-hmm. we just champion this film on the podcast so much. And it is really great. It's just kind of like funny how much we champion it while the rest of the world kind of moved on. But I absolutely <laughs> adore this film and Same with we'll never stop talking great. about it. You know, our listeners great <laughs> talking about Three Musketeers again. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely but this is like 
it's a great adventure movie. It has a lot of heart. It's hilarious. Great characters. Awesome action scenes. Some of my favorite sword fight scenes from all time. So you can't go wrong with this one. Right. Um, so, yeah, what's your next one, man? So Not my next one. Fast, but, you know. Yeah, my next one we've t- we've also talked about before. I think when we did our sports list, because I went with The Sandlot. And this is a movie that this is another one that like I'm not the biggest sports movie guy, but this movie, like the characters in it and uh, the storyline. And it's just like really good and it's really relatable. And it's a movie that I put on it. It brings me back to being a kid and, uh, you know, playing with my friends, whether it was playing baseball or if it was you know, coming up with some other crazy um, expedition, like try, like the whole uh, the whole like beast subplot of this movie and trying to sneak into the old man's yard and steal back the uh, Babe Ruth signed baseball. Like that just brings me back to running around as kids and the hijinks you would get into and stuff. And this movie is super just kind of like heartwarming in that way. Like it really brings you back to a better time in your life. But it's also just a solid film. This is a movie like I don't know anybody who doesn't like this movie. It's kind of universally loved, I think. And it's I think that's for like good reasons, because everybody can relate to it. And because it's I don't know, it captures the love of the game baseball, but also the love of uh, just kind of growing up and like having your neighborhood friends and stuff. And I don't know, like I said, we've talked about this movie. I'm sure it'll come up again. I don't know too much to say about it that we haven't said before but uh no just a great film and this one had to make my list as well sure um again such a wonderful film um this is what's weird about the uh this year is that like almost every movie when i was kind of making the list i'm like god i love this movie i love this movie i love this movie (laughs) Um, right on so yeah sandlot i think i feel like everyone's seen this movie and if you haven't you really 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 need to um and that's really all I can say about it at this point. Absolutely. We, we keeps coming up. So um, mine is a you shouldn't be surprised that this one made my list, but I forgot that it was 1993. I thought it was 92. Um, and that is Batman Mask of the Phantasm. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. We've talked about this before. Yes, I have a love for the Bruce Tim Batman animated series, but this is this is a different machine. Um, this is still to this day in, in the area of the Batman world considered the greatest Batman film of all time. And yes, that even trumps the dark Knight if you talk to the right people. Um, and in terms of like storytelling, this is one of those things where in terms of storytelling in in the Batman world, this is a pretty perfect movie just in the terms of the story. Um, and then throw in the Bruce Tim art and the great voice cast with Kevin Conroy and Mark Hamill and all them. You know what I mean? Like there's so much going right for this film. Um, so yeah, that's, there you go. Yeah, uh, this, yeah, go ahead. It's, it's, it's hard to know what to add about this one. Cause we have talked about this one before too. Um, but I'll go back to what I said about super Mario brothers. <laughs> Cause like I said, I was seven years old, uh, during this year and, uh, the mask of the phantasm felt like a blockbuster movie event. Like, I don't know about for you, Drew, but the age I was at, this was like a big event film. And it was one of the coolest films that came out that year, but it was also an animated superhero film. So that means me and all my friends in school were able to see this movie. And uh, it was awesome. Um, I haven't watched this movie in a long time. And I think I'm due for a rewatch because 
like I said, I haven't watched it in so long. Like it would be fun because it's one of those movies I could relive the story a little bit. And I know there's a ton I forgot about, but uh, definitely a great pick. Um, great movie overall. I don't I don't have too much to say about it. We unfortunately didn't match for this one. Like okay. this was on my short list. Um, it almost made my list, but there's a couple other movies that had to make it before this yeah. one. So I get it. What um what do you got for me on your next one? Yeah, so my next one, and this is weird because I didn't know this was going to make, make my list, but it makes sense, especially because of how much this movie has came up in conversation on our show. But I went with The Nightmare Before Christmas, and uh, this, this is a movie that I love. I think it's a great story. I think it's a super unique con- uh, concept. I think there's a lot of just awesome craftsmanship that went into this movie whether that be from the character design or the animation or the music like it kind of just hits a lot of different spots that you want this movie to hit but um yeah it's it's just one of those things like putting my list together I realized the Nightmare Before Christmas was one of my favorite movies that came out this year and uh like I said I didn't know it was going to make my list but thinking about this podcast and how much I've been talking about this movie it absolutely makes sense that it would make my list so i don't have too much to say <laughs> this one is we've talked a lot about before and i'm sure we'll talk about again so uh yeah that's yeah. my third pick yeah yeah um yeah this it's it's such a good movie um commonly thought common misconception it is not directed by tim burton um but it's it's a lot of his you know storytelling and imagery and all that stuff um this is one I always catch bits like I've seen the movie multiple times, but I always catch bits and pieces of it. I haven't sat down and like watched it front to back in a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. I feel like I'm kind of due for a rewatch, but I think I might wait for the next uh, holiday go around before I do that. Just out of context, if you will. <laughs> it, it is it is a uh, short watch. I feel like it's barely really? it like an hour and a half. Long. It always feels long to me. I'm always like, this part takes so long to get through. <laughs> well, it might that might be like some of the musical sequences and montages. I feel like maybe those linger a little bit. But I feel like anytime I watch it, I'm like, oh, wow, we're already at this part. Like this movie moves way faster than I remembered. So. Sure. Um, yeah. So Nightmare Before Christmas. Um, all right. So my next one time to get to a little more serious movies, in my opinion. Um, <laughs> I only say that because it's like, yeah, of course you like Batman. Yeah, we've championed uh, uh, Musketeers. Yeah, you've talked about Sandlot and Robin Hood. Um, it's just more of that, like, I didn't realize all these movies were in the same year. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. Um, all right. So the next one is a movie called uh, Searching for Bobby Fischer. Nice. Um, I absolutely adore this film. Um, it's it's a movie about a kid who's just really good at chess and everyone thinks he's the new Bobby Fischer. You know what I mean? Like, that's basically the ultimate, you know, that's basically what the movie's about. Bobby Fischer's, you know, considered one of the greatest, uh, he's considered the best chess, he's like the Michael Jordan of chess, if you will. Um, and it's, it's just, uh, it's just a, such a wonderful, charming movie about this kid who's just amazing at chess. And I love my absolute, there's some really great key moments that are just phenomenal. If you liked if you liked Queen's Gambit, I totally recommend this movie, but there's some really great key moments, and they always talk about how he needs to look beyond um, – you need to look beyond the pieces. You need to look beyond the board. You need to look beyond those first moves. It's that idea that a great chess player can see, 
you know, the end of the game before it's even began. And mm-hmm. there's some cool moments where he's sitting there with a blank chessboard and he's just got his finger out and he's like mapping the moves because he's doing it in his head. Um, the way they did the in the head moments with um, Queen's Gambit, I thought were just a little different. Like it was really cool how she, they were doing it because she was kind of like a hallucinization kind of a thing with the drugs. But this is one where a kid's just kind of like playing out, you know, the moves in, on the board. He doesn't even have the piece on the board. It's just a blank chessboard. Um, but I love that moment at the end of the movie when he's about to win the game and he looks at the kid who's basically his rival and he goes and he holds his hand across the table and the kid's like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm offering you a draw. He goes, I'm going to beat you in 12 moves. You just don't see it yet. And the kid's like, I'm not taking a, he's like 12 moves. I'm not taking a draw. And then they play it out and he wins. You know what I mean? It's just, this <laughs> I just absolutely love it. But like I said, it's just a charming movie. Um, and it's one that if it's on TV, I'll turn it on and then I'll just get sucked in. So nice. Um, yeah, this um, this is a movie you? that I yeah this this is a movie I saw once <laughs> when I was around when it came out, and I remember thinking it was cool because this movie had chess in it. No, it's it, this is a movie <laughs> that I remember enjoying it and think it was really great, but I haven't watched it in so long. I really. It wouldn't even be fair to the movie for me to comment too much on it at the moment. Sure. But if I see it somewhere, I'm definitely going to watch this one because um, this one would be fun to go back to. Um, OK, so my number two pick for the night. Um, this is where I feel like we might match in a weird way, but uh, I went with Jurassic Park. Um, really? Yes. And uh, all right. Uh I mean, Jurassic Park, we've talked about a lot, and I don't know, I don't really know what to say that we haven't said before, but this is just a legendary film. This is a film that special effects wise just really, it was, it's, it's definitely a milestone. It's definitely one of those movies that Jurassic Park came out and made a lot of people realize like, holy crap, you can do that as far as making believable dinosaurs and creatures and stuff on screen and uh this is a movie that gets remembered like this is it is it is really like this landmark that people go back to where they say Jurassic the first Jurassic Park movie really did CGI right because they mixed practical effects with like they used the CGI so sparingly and they mixed it with practical effects and it makes it it makes for something that's just super believable that just really holds up. But this is one of the biggest films this year. And um, like when it came out and I think the movies really stood the test of time. Like there's a reason why people keep going back to the theaters in droves to see the Jurassic world movies, for example, and stuff. And uh, no, it's just a great movie. It spawned a great franchise. Um, yeah, I don't know what to say. Like, we've talked about this movie a lot before, but uh, Drew, I don't know if you have any thoughts on this one at all. Well, the thing about Jurassic Park is that it's um, – the thing about Jurassic Park is that this is one of those things where 1977 Star Wars rewrote the book on science on special effects for film. And then in 1993, Jurassic Park came – and it flipped the script on everybody and introduced and showed us what computers could really do. And it pushed the industry and then it made George Lucas go, oh, that's what we can do with computers. OK, I'm going to turn it up to 11 and go do this. And like just about everything George did after that was like super computers. And now we're in the end game in like Avengers time period where 
um, everything's in a computer because if you really look at, there's like hardly any special effects or uh, practical effects in Marvel films anymore. Um, yeah. But if you look at like, if you trail it back, Jurassic Park is like the crux. It's almost like you have like an era of everything before 1975, which is then you have Jaws release and everything after 1975 and then everything up to Jurassic Park. And then Jurassic Park is the ne- the end of that grouping of an era. And here we are in the third age. You know what I mean? So we have three different eras of film. And I feel like Jurassic Park is one of the linchpins that like spr- springs us into today. Um, yeah, but but it's also funny that now we're like we're like earlier in the episode, we were talking about movies that are bringing things back to like trying to do everything practically, because I feel yeah. like especially when you look at the Marvel films, like um, one of I think one of their faults, I feel, is they like overly rely on CGI sometimes. And I think it's cool to see Hollywood start to go back to practical effects and realize like if we can do something practically, we should, because it's going to just age that much better and it's going to end up looking that much more realistic. You know, CGI is great to use, but if you use it for everything, it kind of, um, it can become detrimental, you know, and it's cool that I, I feel like the balance that Jurassic Park had, we're kind of slowly coming back to that, where it's going to be some practical effects and some CGI, which I think is what, things should be you know I, I think when everything's cgi and green, green screen i feel like it doesn't work and uh when everything's practical effects sometimes that doesn't work either but uh i didn't mean to derail you, you there it was just it was just kind of a thought i had at the moment um no i hear you the um the thing about jurassic park though is it captured the imagination of everyone like it wasn't just like it, I mean it starts with a novel that you know whether you read it or not is fine but people were like oh my god there's dinosaurs in the movie and they look real they're real dinosaurs like how how they do this like there's the one aspect where you're looking at the behind the scenes stuff the film wise and then there's also the aspect where you're looking at this it just captured everyone's imaginations adults and kids alike this yeah. this movie and this movie also holds a special place in my heart because this was the first movie that I went with my friends by myself to see like I didn't go with parents or anything like that like they you know we got dropped off at the theater it was just me and my friends went and saw the movie <laughs> together so it, that's just one of those things you know it, it it's got a special place in my heart for that but then when you think about the cultural impact the film impact the industry impact you know what i mean um, mm-hmm. yeah, so, I mean, it's such a wonderful movie, and, I mean, here we are today, like, still looking back on it, and the CG in that movie looks better than some of the CG today, so, you know. Absolutely, and I feel like, um, just thinking about that, it's kind of fun to think about how this was a movie that, like, there, w- there was a massive cultural impact, and this is a movie that everyone went to see, and everyone was aware of, and I feel like, a little bit like we haven't had a movie like that in a while, which kind of which kind of sucks. Like I remember when Avatar came out and everyone and their mom literally went to see Avatar in theaters. But I don't know if I know a movie since that that hasn't been like a Star Wars or a Marvel film. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know. Um, so, it, it, well, you say that I don't know. If people have gone to the theater to see anything with a Star Wars or a Marvel film. You look at the list of movies from 1993, and holy cow, the amount of like original stuff 
was on the list. As I'm like going through and writing down all the movies I saw and movies I liked and all that stuff, I was literally like, wow, there's so much here that's original IP or original storytelling or original scripts made just for the yeah. film. There, you know what I mean? Like just original stuff. Like you probably went to the theater and said, like, what are we going to see? You know what I mean? So, and you weren't talking about Marvel films. You were talking about, oh, I just saw The Firm or I just saw For the Love of Money or I just saw Cliffhanger. You know what I mean? Like you were having those kind of conversations. So yeah, uh, it's like every movie you saw was something new, <laughs> you know? Anyway, yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, Jurassic Park, wonderful film. Obviously we talked about it a lot, but yeah. Um, all right. So my number two for the night is uh, Tombstone. Nice. Um, we talked about this a lot when we were doing, uh, if you go back, take a look at our Western episode. Uh, we talked about this a lot because I absolutely love this film. Battle of OK Corral, wider, uh, Kurt Russell and Val Kilmer. And uh, just, it's, it's always huge star studded cast. Um, but it's one of the coolest Westerns, in my opinion, that's out there. Um, I don't have a lot to say about it because we talked about it really heavily on our Western episodes and that wasn't very long ago. So, um, yeah, whatever our Western episode was, uh, I can scroll back, uh, and find out, but, um, uh, <laughs> well, it wasn't very long ago, but, uh, it's episode 169. So, um, yeah, like only like 15, 20 episodes ago. So it's crazy that it's been that many episodes to be honest, but, uh, no, tomb, tombstone's a great film. Uh, we did talk about it heavily on that episode, so I don't want to retread a ton on what we were talking about, but I will say I've heard some people call this movie the very best Western film ever made. Um, and I've heard people who don't believe that, but still have to admit that this is one of the best Western films that's ever been made. So yeah. I think it's definitely worth watching. And I think this is a movie that like I love Tombstone, but I'm not the biggest Western fan. So I think everybody needs to check out this film for sure. So, yeah. All right, man. What do you got for me? What's your. Uh... <laughs> well, my final, final pick. pick... Yeah, my final pick could be pretty short because I went with the three Musketeers. <laughs> and this is one where this is my personal favorites from this year. And I feel like this movie just had to make my list or this one had to top my list. Well, I, when I really thought about the movies that came out this year and the ones that I've rewatched a ton and the ones that I love. And this is a movie that I'm down to watch at any time. But it's also a movie that when I put it on, I just feel happy. Like this movie is great. It's so much fun. It's in a way kind of like the Sandlot in a weird way. This movie takes me back to when I was a little kid and I was running around with a toy sword or a stick in the backyard, pretending to be one of the musketeers. And uh, no, this movie's just awesome. It's really great. It's super fun, but it's, I know this is a personal pick. Like, I don't think this movie's objectively the best movie that came out this year, but well, yeah, this is definitely my number one favorite from this year. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, I totally hear you. And that's funny. And since we already talked about Three Musketeers, my final pick for the night was Jurassic Park. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and honestly, my big reason for Jurassic Park being pushed that way is it holds a special place in my heart because of that, you know, first movie out with my friends. But also when you look at the impact it had on the industry. Um, you know what I mean? And it's, it's a movie that I got home from going, Ooh, I need to read that book and had to rush to read it. You know what I mean? Cause I didn't. Absolutely. Read so, um, um, I remember, um, our brother, Sean, who was on the episode we did about dragons like a long time ago, and he needs to come on for another episode sometime soon. But 
He, uh, I remember back when Jurassic Park came out and we got the VHS copy as a family. I remember him watching this movie on repeat. <laughs> and like, I don't know how old he was. Like he was, he must have only been like four or five. Like he was super young at that point. But I remember him watching Jurassic Park, rewinding it, watching it, rewinding I know. it. And he did that for like four days straight. <laughs> Which is pretty awesome, and I think it says a lot about this movie that it can really capture your imagination for that long. But sorry, I just had that random memory, which kind of made me chuckle. So I know, right? Um, so yeah, all right. That kind of rounds out our uh, 1993 uh, episode. Um, Peter, next week is going to be your pick, man. What are you throwing at me? Yeah, so this is a uh, this is kind of a weird list. Um, but I was talking about Halloween Kills earlier, that movie that I rented from the Red Box. And uh, the thing I was thinking about while watching Halloween Kills, and it's actually like a huge plot point in the movie, is in the previous Halloween film, they thought that they killed Michael Myers. Like at the end of the movie, um, I'm going to go into spoiler territory. I feel like that's – well, actually, I won't go into spoiler territory. But at the end of the movie, they – had Michael Myers in a situation where they thought they got rid of Michael Myers for good. They thought they finally killed this evil villain they'd been fighting off. But of course, in this new movie, Michael Mike, Michael Myers is back and, you know, better than ever, you know, and I, it got me thinking. I was thinking a little bit about in Halloween, like how many times has that happened? Like in the franchise, like how many times have they killed off Michael Myers or so they thought, and then he came back. And then I, I started thinking of all the other characters that this has happened with. And it made me want to do, I think this would be a fun list to do would be our top five favorite times a character has died. And then they've brought him back to life. And so drew for your, for your, uh, um, spreadsheet, I don't know if you want to phrase that like top five character resurrections or how you want to phrase that. But I just think this would be an interesting topic. Um, this is actually something I don't like a lot when movies do. Like I kind of like when a character dies and then they're gone. But I think it's an inter- interesting discussion. Like what are your favorite times when that's actually happened? When and characters uh, have been brought back to life. Are we sticking movies? Are we sticking? Does this include television and comic books and all that? nonsense? I, I think I think we're going to open this up to everything because uh, right. there's a lot of cool areas we can explore. Earlier in this episode, we were just talking about the death of Superman. So that's another uh, uh, another area you could look into. But uh, no, I just think this is a. Really interesting and weird list, and I think this would be a fun conversation to have. Characters come back to life. Yeah, that's going to be a very interesting uh, point of conversation, and that's the whole point of this show anyway, <laughs> right? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Um, well, that kind of brings us to the end of the episode. Do you want to toss this episode in the can? Yeah, absolutely. Cool. All right, everyone, do us a favor and uh, – Check out our website, top5report.com. There you'll find links to all of our social media, Twitter and Facebook, along with a link to our email, top5report at gmail.com. You can interact with the show there. Head us over our social media. Either way works. Um, you, uh, We are on Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google, Apple Podcasts. Um, you can subscribe to us in those places. If you do, you will not miss a single episode. You can also leave us a review, which we love those five stars, but we understand criticism because it helps us get better and it makes the words we say feel important. Um, 
You can follow me personally on Twitter and Instagram at Drew3927. Uh, Peter, what about you? Yeah, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Ninja Pierre. And that's where I will be reiterating that I am still giving my regards to Gerard's sister. <laughs> <laughs> All right. For the top five report, I'm Drew. I'm Peter. And uh, we'll see you next week, everyone. Thanks for listening.